everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Hurry and Yell podcast. Today, we're going to go over some college football games. We are going to go over a little bit of college basketball since it officially started today. We are going to have, I'm sure, some hypothetical scenarios. One of us is going to go on a rant about something, and we're going to have a little bit of fun for the next hour. I am Patrick, and that is the master of the five-out offense, Brian. Um, basketball season has started for uh, AAU as well, Yeah, undefeated. Coaching uh, seventh grade, select basketball. We got a win today, 44-33. Uh, boys played well. Um, some of them might actually listen to this podcast. They might be some of our five listeners. You know, uh, we had seven one week. I know. It was was the seven was that the one with the cool runnings? No, that was uh, when we just bitched the entire time. It was rant after rant after rant. So now we know. Um, today we are drinking the Heritage Coffee Brown um, from Alaskan Brewing Company, a favorite, consistent, solid. Um, they're just it. The weather gets bad. You want an Alaskan beer. It's like getting up, you know, all their beers taste like Pyramid Snowcap, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite winter weather beers. But, uh, yeah, brewed in Juneau, Alaska, bottled in Juneau, Alaska. Um, we have never been to Alaska, even though I've had family live in Alaska. Um, so, cheers. Solid beer. Another another solid coffee beer for, uh, for us. Well, it's packed well after dark, so... If that game tonight is any good, I'll be up till the wee hours of the night. Yep. Uh, We are recording this on Friday um, in the University of Washington against Stanford Cardinal. uh, Just started. We're going to be keeping an eye on that game, I'm sure, and we'll probably give you Um, updates throughout. uh, No, I'll wait to... I'll wait to discuss something in regards to that. Okay. So we have a huge week in college football here. The best since 2002 by the numbers. Seven games involving ranked teams. Three involving matchups between top ten teams. Uh, I want to start with number three versus number seven. Catholics versus convicts. The University of Notre Dame, which is doing better than anyone expected, against Miami, who is also doing better than anyone expected. couple things about this game that pissed me off. And we have rant number one, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, the whole Catholics versus Convicts thing. Um, Notre Dame back then was a fart. It was actually a dirtier program that was celebrated less. Um, that's always bothered me. They're the ones that started the fight in the tunnel. I think it was Todd White that did it, number 41. Went into a long NFL career, I believe, with the Rams. And then with the Rams. Ah, sounds familiar. Um, it, you know, last year, Notre Dame went 4-8. and They went 4-8 and for a bunch of reasons. Um, one of those was the offense didn't jive with their stud quarterback, and a bunch of their top recruits didn't qualify. I spent three quarters of that season defending Brian Kelly. You did? You did. I thought he would be gone to uh, their fan base and to anyone that would listen. I thought he was a fine coach. I still think he's a fine coach. He's a perfect Notre Dame coach because he'll win big every now and then on an easy schedule. And then, uh, you know, if he was actually in a conference, he'd probably only win eight to nine games a year. 
Notre Dame's really good. Miami is at least two years away. They're winning like 2002 Notre Dame with Tyrone. Every every game goes down to the wire. That last game, though, against Virginia Tech, they, they looked pretty damn they good. They did look pretty good. Um, they got a lot of talent. They're young. They don't score a lot of points, typically. Um, you got to score against Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's going to win this game. It's de- is it down in Miami? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I, I've i gone back and forth on this game a little bit. I'm going to go with Notre Dame right now as well. I think they've played a little bit of a tougher schedule than Miami has, uh, especially the last couple weeks. Miami Miami's schedule has been backloaded. Um, they're just now starting to hit the meat of their schedule. Notre Dame has started to um, come on strong. That win against USC, I know USC struggled um, but that win against USC was really good. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Notre Dame is going to win this game as well. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think Miami is going to be there at the end, just like they have been in every game, but they've pulled out every game. And I think this year they're going to come up or this week, they're going to come up short. I think that this game you always think games are going to be closer than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's just me <laughs> wishful thinking as a fan. Um, I think that Notre Dame just got a, they're just a little bit more seasoned than Miami. They've been through a, they've been through the fire a little bit, and uh, I think that they're they're just you, you never know with Notre Dame. They could have six turnovers and just hand them the game. It's a Brian Kelly special, but if they play the the kind of the clean football that they've been playing this year. I think they won by 10 points. I think the game is going to be closer than that, but I also think Notre Dame is going to win. Um, so we agree on one thing. I got a weird feeling there's going to be some, some a lot of games that we disagree on, probably because of how many ranked games there are this week. And there's a lot of coin flips on it. There so, is. Yeah. There is. Um, another game between two top 10 teams and one that I know we're going to disagree on is TCU Oklahoma. Oklahoma looked good again, offensively against Oklahoma State. Uh, they looked horrible defensively against Oklahoma State, allowing that team to score fifty points and have what felt like nine hundred yards of offense. Um, TCU is much better defensively. They're not not as cl- good offensively, but I don't think, I think the, the gap is bigger for the defense than the offense between TCU and Oklahoma State. I, that's why I actually do think TCU is going to go in Norman and win this game, and they are going to prove me right, damn it, as the underrated team. Um. Apparently, my neighbors have purchased dogs, or they have company over that have dogs. There's an RV in the front yard, um, so that's distracting. Um, <laughs> so I disagree with you. Of course, I do. Um, I would like to see Oklahoma's record at home in November over the last twenty years. I bet they are damn near undefeated. I've always thought that I'm not a big fan of Oklahoma's defense. I think Mike Stoops is kind of a joke. He's going to get fired uh, at the end of the year. Uh, but this just feels like a game where Oklahoma is just going to be 10 points ahead. TCU is going to get close. 
You know, they may get a couple interceptions because they have such a good defensive scheme. But Oklahoma's got the horses. I, I just think they've had their loss in the conference, and that's going to be it. Do you think this, you this think feels like uh, I think it's, it was 2008. Missouri went into Oklahoma. Missouri was higher ranked, and Oklahoma was just the better team. They just worked them. They just worked them, and they beat them like 43-32. And I think that's going to be the way the game is. TCU is a really good team, uh, but I just don't think they have the horses. Okay, well, we will agree to disagree on that one. By the way, uh, Stanford right now, despite being down 7-0 already, is proving one thing that people do not know or even try out because the big guys in the middle for UW, you can run right up the gut on UW, but nobody tries it. I love how you're keeping an eye on that, and I'm keeping an eye on day one of college basketball where... Um, oh, is Kentucky still losing? No, they won by 10. Kentucky beat Utah Valley 73-63. to 63. Um, There were no upsets. Northwestern only won by two against Loyola of Maryland. Seton Hall is ranked. I had no idea. Um, That's one of those things where Seton Hall is ranked because it's Seton Hall. And any time that they have some talent, people are going to be like, oh, it's Seton Hall. That's true. They were good under P.J. Carlissimo 20 years ago. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, Gonzaga won 90... 30 years ago. 3 to 66. Oh, my God. That was 30 years ago. P.J. Carlissimo. <laughs> Gotta love it. Anytime you can bring P.J. Carlissimo into it. Last coach of the Seattle Supersonics. All right. But we'll get into college basketball more a little later. But this is, goes to show you where our loyalties lie. Uh, I love college football, but I'm college basketball all the way. And Pat is definitely our college football guru. You watch too much uh, college basketball, and eventually you'll lose your mind because it's the quality of play is so sloppy. 2010. That's what we did. That's all we did in 2010 was watch college basketball. And drink cinnamon-flavored liqueur. Yeah. Cheers to that. <laughs> now we're up to Alaskan Amber, and I'm actually double-fisting. I'm drinking Alaskan Amber and Irish Death. Yeah, somebody's so. cleaning out my fridge for me. Okay, so we uh, we have one more game between top 10 teams. That's number one versus number 10, and we're going by college football playoff rankings here. Otherwise, Alabama would be number one, obviously, but we're going Georgia-Auburn. Uh, is this game, I don't even know, is this game played between the hedges, or is this game? I think it's in Auburn. In Auburn. Okay. Let me, let me double check. I don't think where it's going to be is going to is going to have any say or impact on the game. It's in Auburn. It's in Auburn. Still think Georgia's going to win. This is actually one of the ones that I was thinking about for an upset pick. But the more I thought about it, Georgia just that defense is so good. That front seven is so fast and so physical. They just Rally to the ball, and Auburn, for whatever reason, they're like LSU. They just can't find a quarterback. They haven't had a good quarterback since Cam Newton. They've tried everything. They've tried grad transfers. They've tried non-grad transfers. They've tried freshmen. They've tried seniors. Nothing has worked, and it's continuing. And once again, 
the quarterback is probably the only reason. I mean, honestly, they've only had one good quarterback since Jason Campbell graduated. And, and that was in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was only there one year. And that one year, they won the national championship. No. Oh, no. no oh, since. Oh, Cam Newton. Okay. Yeah, Cam Newton. They've only had one good quarterback you. since. And it was Cam Newton. He was there one year. And the one year, they won the national championship. If Auburn could have a quarterback, they would probably be a multiple-time national champion. I mean, they went to a national championship game with Nick Marshall as their quarterback. And he was a horrible quarterback. He yep. couldn't throw a football. Yeah, I mean, they did get very, very lucky in yeah. a couple of games that week, that year, including against Georgia with, what was it, fourth and 23? Fourth and 17. Uh, yes, uh, that was a great, great Georgia team. And no one remembers that game, that Auburn-Georgia game. Many people remember that. No, not as many people remember it because of what happened two weeks well, later. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. So. Um, in regards to this game, a couple of things. Auburn on offense, they are better offensively than they were to start the year. The yes. quarterbacks settle in a little bit. They play with rhythm and tempo. They've got a couple problems on offense. One, if the first read has gone to passing game, he's going to be sacked. The offensive line can only hold up for two reads tops. That's two seconds once he plants that back foot. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got speed. They can run block really well. They run all of that shit that are re- that fancy formations, the trick plays, the screens. Everything there is. The SEC has seen most of it, unless you're Texas A&M and you're like, oh, you're Texas A&M. Well, Texas A&M doesn't know what a defense yeah. is anyways. I mean. Um, I don't think that I, – I don't think Auburn scoring 20 points in this game. Um, their defense is really impressive. That front four is really good. They play really hard. They're pretty well coached. They tackle well. They're physical. They're, they just look like your classic SEC defense. They just look good. The problem is that they run at kind of an exotic scheme. And every single game, you can get a big play in the running game and in the passing game. At least one. It doesn't matter if you're LSU, you're Texas A&M. It doesn't matter who you are. You catch them with the pants down, and you'll you'll get a big play for a touchdown. I think Georgia is going to get them with a big play in the running game, a big play in the passing game, and that'll and I think they're going to win the game. Those Georgia running backs, too, man. Both Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are just filthy. The offensive line is okay. The offensive line is good, but those running backs are ridiculous. And I love watching those guys play. And I haven't watched Georgia as much as I would like. Um, and I probably won't be able to watch this game because I'm guessing it's the primetime SEC game, which means it's, it's 1230. 12.30 on CBS, the old Vern Lundquist game, which I will not be able to watch because I will be coaching again. But... Georgia is a team that I can't wait to watch in the SEC championship game against Alabama, probably. And I think that team is very entertaining. They are so well coached. Who would have thought a Kirby Smart head coaching team 
would be well coached. He's I'm, a damn good coordinator. He was another I one of those. I would have guessed that. He was another. See, I wouldn't have. He was another one of those guys like Jim McElwain, like um, Will Muschamp, one of those guys who was a good, good coordinator who uh, uh, just didn't turn out in the SEC as far as head coaching. And I thought he, Kirby Smart was going to be another one. Maybe it was because of his haircut and I couldn't I, take him serious. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't mention him without a haircut. By the way, my fantasy football team name next year is going to be Kirby Smart's haircut. Um, <laughs> I read an article about him uh, when he first got that job and kind of his approach to it, and he sold me. From then on, I was sold on the Kirby Smart train. Um, he's doing a he's doing a damn good job, and it's only going to get better too. He's only going to get better. Would you stay with the hot hand and keep Fromm in over Eason? I think now you have to. Yes, but I would. A but while next year, when it comes into camp, I'd still have open competition. Yeah, but I think until so. um, unless Fromm just starts falling apart and struggling, uh, I think he's more mentally mature than Eason, and uh, I I think that's all they need is they just need a guy to quickly process information and not screw up. Yeah, and they need a Trent Delford. Just let him roll. Guy not to get in their way. Exactly. So we're in agreement then that Georgia wins. Georgia probably wins comfortably. Um, that's my opinion, and it sounds like that's, that's your 20 opinion. 20-17, fine. That's not comfortable. I didn't say it would be comfortable. I know. I'd say they get a couple big plays. Auburn's defense is very good, and uh, but Auburn won't score 20 points. I know. I actually, So there you go. You have the game closer than I do. So... Um, that's, that's not always that I think the games are going to be close sometimes. Well, one thing is for sure that whenever I think it's going to be close and you think it's going to be blot, you're usually right. There was one game in like week three where I was like, ah, you're an idiot. And it was an ass kicking. I forget what it was. I think it was a Clemson game. Yeah, it was Clemson. It was Clemson. Clemson, Virginia Tech or something like that, where I just thought Clemson was just going to I think Virginia Tech is the upset. Yep. Shows what the hell I Clemson, Florida State is a game that I thought we were going to be talking about a little bit at the beginning of the year between two teams that were vying for a playoff berth. One of them is vying for a playoff berth. One of them is trying to make a bowl game. Um, I thought we were going to spend time on it, but we don't need to because Florida State has just fallen apart. And it's sad, and it just makes me mad because I love Florida State. They will always rise up again. They'll be fine. Next year, they'll be fine. I hope so. That quarterback comes back and – it's too go. bad that they're in that position where a quarterback can ruin your season to that extent. That bad, yeah. I think that they got to look. They're going to take a long, hard. Jimbo is going to take a look in the mirror this offseason. and I wouldn't be surprised. If there's some staff turnover. There's going to be your underrated if team next year. There, they cut some people. Um, just change the culture around there. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It has to. Um, but I'm looking forward to them. Because Michigan State had a year like that last year. So did Notre Dame. And they both those teams just turn around. You just have to stay the course sometimes. Everybody wants to just freak out, but you just look at what the hell went wrong, and you figure out a way to fix it. Well, that's the thing is it's like everyone now is just wants to win, 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 win every year, and that just can't happen. It's know? it's. I think we talked about it last week, too, with coaches you maybe get four years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one recruiting class. 
that you develop. That is one. That's it. And sometimes you just know, like Charlie Strong in Texas, you just know that's that early on, a couple years in, it's just not going to work. And then you make a move. But sometimes, like, just let a coach get through a rough spot. There's not as much of that as there used to be. Well, you think of, I mean, Bobby Bowden went through a rough spot at Florida State at the start. Mike Krzyzewski in college at Duke went through a rough well, Bobby spot. Bobby went through more of a rough spot at the end for the last, you know. Well, yeah, he, that's true. That's very true. With Jeff Bowden. We have an article on the website about that. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. About all about, you know, one of the things, the very first things I remember you talking about when we had a, a real college football discussion was you talking about the turnover of assistant coaches. And it's something <laughs> you have said ever since I've met you, which we're going on now 12 years of friendship. And if you were me and you grew up watching Florida State play all through the 90s and that offense with Mark Rick Collin plays. And then suddenly Jeff Bowden is calling plays and you sit in confusion for a few years wondering what the hell happened. Then you have to look deeper. And that's what I went through. Uh, yeah, no, completely agree. Uh, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, Paterno had a long time assistant coaches. Frank Beamer had long time assistant coaches. They had long periods of success with those assistant coaches. You know, Oregon with Aliotti. You know what you, you don't see on staffs that uh, win for a long time is nepotism. Washington, uh, they would have won three consecutive Rose Bowls and two consecutive national championships if Don James did not promote his son-in-law to call plays in 1992. You have Jeff Bowden at, uh, at Florida State. You've got, um, you know, you, if Pete Carroll wasn't on his last couple of years, his son, Brennan, is just working his way up the staff. You can see it. You know it. He's going to try. And, and then uh, Snyder at Kansas State. Yep. There's only one, and I know, and again, college basketball, I've been bringing it back to that a lot, but there's been only one case in college, in college sports where I think it's worked. And that is at my alma mater, our alma mater, Washington State, where Dick Bennett handed yeah, handed yes. the keys to Absolutely. Tony Bennett, and he, Tony continued the success. Well, that was a situation where the son was more brilliant than the father, honestly. Well, the son took the concepts from the father. And, and then built on yep. it, rather than yeah. just saying, I'm just going to do this and not change anything. Mm -hmm. That's that's the attitude as a coach, where if you just approach it like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to screw this up. Like Larry Coker at Miami, maybe it's different or Mark for, Helfrich. Maybe it's different for basketball than it is for football. It, it, it probably is. Well, basketball is a it's a it's a game where you can actually get away with not changing anything, and you don't see. I mean, if you had Phil Knight, uh, not Phil Knight, but Bobby Knight's kid at Texas Tech, that was a disaster. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, Patino Patino's kid at Minnesota has been off and on. Um, there have been a couple of others, I'm sure. As I think well. when football, you have bigger staffs, so you have a, there's more of a chance that you find a job for your kid on the staff. Yeah, and then you have him work his way up, sometimes in a ridiculous fashion, and it's it's probably more prevalent because there's more. 
like more ability, oppor- more opportunity, to- more opportunity for growth because it's yeah. a bigger staff. That makes sense. Okay, uh, a couple other games: Michigan State, Ohio State. Now we just looked at the line right before this podcast, and I almost spit out my beer when I looked at it because it has Ohio State as a seventeen-point favorite over Michigan State. Now I'm not saying Michigan State is going to win. But I am saying after the last few weeks, I am shocked that the line is at 17 points. So how do you think this game's going to go? I think it's going to be Ohio State by seven is my guess. I think Ohio State's going to win probably 31-24 is is my, my best opinion. But I don't think this either team is going to win by double digits. So Michigan State beat... Penn State last week. Yes. Right? I watched some of that game. Now, also, I think part of it is uh, this is uh, Urban Meyer's sixth year, and he's never lost two games in a row. And I don't think he's going to lose this one, but uh, I can't. So I think that, that Vegas is overstepping a little bit. And I think that people, I, maybe the people just figured Penn State was a fraud, and so they, they're not giving Michigan State credit for that. Maybe that's it, because I'm looking at this game as a football guy. Let me grab my notes. Um, historically, Michigan State gives Ohio State fits. Urban Meyer's offense, they know how to stop that thing. Last year, they went 3-9, and nine, and that was a close game into the fourth quarter. Urban Meyer's first loss ever at Ohio State in his end of his second year was uh, against Michigan State in uh, 20. 15, they got knocked out of the national championship because Michigan State beat them in November in Columbus on a late field goal. They held them to 14 points. The reason is this. Michigan State's scheme makes you complete passes outside of the hash marks and downfield. Yes. JT Barrett can't do that? JT Barrett can't make those throws. McSorley... McNugget or whatever the quarterback Trace. Is. Trace McSorley. He can make those throws better, but those are the only throws they gave him last week. There was nothing else. He tried to get in the middle of the field because it's, it's an easier throw, and it would get picked off. Barrett had a horrible game last week. Uh, Michigan State runs a similar offense to Iowa. That pro-style single-back stuff that just, I drool over that stuff. You got double tight ends. You're putting them in motion before the snap. Real Big Ten you're, football. You're changing the strength of the formation. There's not a lot of fullbacks. So it's not real Big Ten football. But it says Big Ten as we're going to get outside of Ann Arbor. But um, I just think schematically, this is a bad fit uh, for Ohio State's offense. The good fit is they play a lot of man, and Michigan State does well against throwing the ball against zone coverage. They love a good seam route. They hammer the seams. They throw the seam well. They got a quarterback who can throw the ball downfield. John Kitna. Yeah, I think it's going to be a low-storing game. First team to 21 wins if they even get that far. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan State won this game. So you're with me that you think that line is absolutely absurd. I think it's insane. And I think it shows a lack of respect for history and football knowledge. But it's Vegas. Yep. 
I wonder where that line started. Is what I'm curious about that. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, another game in the Big Ten. And we just talked about them. The Iowa Hawkeyes against my pick right now for the most overrated team in the country, the Wisconsin Badgers. This is the first game against a ranked team that Wisconsin has played. They're, I think, 9-0, and number 9 in the country. They have six one-loss teams in front of them. Um, they have, I, but they're still, I think, the highest-ranked team from the Big Ten now. I definitely don't think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I would put probably all three teams from the <laughs> East ahead of them. But they get lucky in that they only have to play one of those three teams. Or do they play Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State this year? Wisconsin? Yeah. No, uh, I think they might play Michigan State. I think they play Michigan. I don't think they play either one of those three teams. But either way, they got super lucky, which is another reason why I hate the unbalanced schedule. And I actually think Iowa is going to win this game. I think Iowa is going to come out on top in this one. And I think that they are going to uh, prove Wisconsin is a fraud. couple things on this game. Um, in college football, last week's champion is this week's loser. Ohio State won the weekend two weeks ago. They go into Iowa. They get their teeth kicked in. They get destroyed. Now Iowa's the toast of the town. Now they got to play Wisconsin. I mean – I think Ohio, Iowa should probably win this game. Um, where they're weak, Wisconsin is not strong. You you beat Iowa by throwing the ball down the field and by making those linebackers run side to side because they can't move. That Wisconsin doesn't play Michigan State, doesn't play Penn State, doesn't play Ohio State, plays Michigan, plays, plays Michigan and Iowa both at home. Iowa's going to win this game. I think Wisconsin's going to beat Michigan next week. But I, I think, think Iowa so wins. And I think Wisconsin's going to get their ass kicked by whoever they play in the Big Ten championship game. Big Ten kind of sucks this year. That's why they're probably not going to have a team in the in the, in the the playoff. If they do, it's going, not going to end well. We all know it. Yep. The last two years, it hasn't ended well. Granted, Pac-12, the last couple of years, it hasn't ended well either for them. Although, I don't care what anyone says about the score of the game between UW and Alabama last year. That game was was not a bad game to watch. That UW defense played so well. It was a Herculean effort because they had Salm Wuching, who quit the team to uh, play rugby, play rugby, who's about 210 pounds, playing defensive end. His job in that game was set the edge against Alabama. He set the edge on like 95% of the plays. He didn't set it on one. Just one. And it was a touchdown. But they played so hard, and they played such good defense in that game. The unfortunate thing is you just can't recruit big studs on the West Coast to play on offense on your offensive line. That pick six killed them. The, the fact that they couldn't, like, it was like they'd line up to snap the ball, and instead of Alabama ha- having defensive linemen lining up, it was like they set out cannons, and they would just be hit and on their ass within a half second of the play starting. It was men against boys. It was. It really was. It was. But it was. It was the better of the two semifinal games. 
for sure. Clemson yeah. over Ohio State was just an ass kick. The loser scored. Uh, that's true, and they that that drive was early, right? Wasn't it like the first or second drive of the second game? Second drive of the game. Yeah. All right. So I watched that with a bunch of Husky fans. I watched it hung over as hell. It was in a. I couldn't turn on the lights. I was so hungover. That's the last time it's been that's it's been that bad. All right. Whiskey or wine? Yes. Honestly, the night started the, the night before it started with me putting a big like two and a half foot crazy straw in a bottle of wine and just drinking a bottle of wine straight from the straw, and then going to the bar and drinking a lot of Crown and Coke. Classic. Yeah. What can I say? No. No, it was a it was a bottle of wine that you actually have to use a bottle opener for, not a twist off. Oh, yeah, you're a gentleman. Man. I was doing it big. Okay, um, so we're in agreement that Iowa is is going to win this game. Then I think so. I mean, Wisconsin's probably going to win by seventeen, but I like to say that Iowa's going to win. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we've got a uh, Oklahoma State Iowa State. Got anything on that one? Um, I keep underestimating Iowa State, and I think I'm going to keep underestimating them. This feels like one of those games where the other shoe drops, and OK State drops 50 on them. I think it's in Ames, though. And who knows? The Midwest in it's November, probably if it's cold, the ball's just hard. It's not going through the air well, and those just little prissy guys on that Oklahoma State offense might struggle a little bit. Agreed. Agreed. I think uh, Iowa State could very well come up and get them. Um, I I don't think they're going to. I think Oklahoma State is going to win. But November's where you separate uh, teams into tiers. Really, it's where your depth shows. It's where your strength and your coaching and everything shows. So, how many teams are in the top tier? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna list. Let's just go through the top ten here. And how many of them are tier one? How many of them are tier two? How many of them might even be Tier 3? Georgia. Tier 1? Can you ask me Saturday night? No, I'm asking you now. <laughs> um, I'd say... You'd say Tier 2 for Georgia. I'd say Tier you? 2, yeah. Alabama. Tier 1. Notre Dame. Tier 2. Clemson. Tier 2. Oklahoma. 2. TCU. 2 or 3. Miami. Three. Wisconsin. Is there a four? There can be as many as you want. <laughs> so basically, what this exercise is showing you is even after everything, it's Alabama and everyone else. For now, that could change. That could change tomorrow. Yep. You just don't know. I mean, because UW is not tier one. It doesn't even feel like anyone's made them sweat yet this year. I don't even know what their closest game. Their closest game was Texas A and M, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was like a twelve-point game. Eight, twenty-seven to nineteen. Yeah, they got a late score. I'm looking. That's the most points that they've allowed this year. Twenty-three to Colorado State. Other than that, Pat, twenty. They've allowed twenty-three to Colorado State, nineteen to Texas A and M. Those are the only two times all season they have allowed more than 10 points. It should go – it should be said they haven't played anybody. That's true. That's true. They The, the two best defenses in the country are Washington and, Oklahoma, and, Auburn, and 
Alabama statistically, and neither team has played anyone. It's conceivable that Washington could make it through the entire regular season without playing a single ranked team. Yeah, if WSU loses to Utah next week, they won't be ranked. You're right. Um, by the way, speaking of that, it is now 14-7. I got University it. of Washington. Yeah, yeah. This is for all of our listeners uh, who are listening to us for whatever reason instead of you know watching the game. Anyways, that I think, think is it for college football. I mean, we've got Bama, Mississippi State. But I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be like 22-7. to 7. You know, there's going to be a bunch of field goals. There's going to be a lot of punts. Mississippi State's quarterback is going to run in for a touchdown. Late, yeah. But There's going to be a lot of cowbells. I'm not going to watch that game. Can't do it, man. <laughs> can't do the cowbells. All right. So that is a college football week number 11. Week number 11. Week 10 or week 11. That is college football this week. Uh, there's we, no baseball to talk about this week. There is no baseball to talk about this week other than the fact that that Japanese Babe Ruth is getting posted. So he's going to be coming to Major League Baseball this year. How old is he? He's like 23. He's probably going to be playing for the Dodgers. The richest team. Yep. Um, I want to talk about Thursday night football. Um, I've been watching the Seahawks since 1990. That's when I started watching every game. I have watched them win and lose hundreds of football games. And I've never had a less enjoyable experience watching the Seahawks win a game than I did last night. Every single play, there's either a penalty or an injury on both sides. I don't like to see guys get hurt, even if it's a team I don't like. That's just... It's just, it's unpleasant. Uh, football, NFL football is played at a different speed than uh, college football. Drastically different speed. You know, 1% of college football players, if that make it to the pros. It's a violent game. It's the end of the season. It's getting, it's getting into November. It's three days to recover from a car crash. Not just one car crash, 60 car crashes every single Sunday. I know that the NFL is making a lot of money from this. I know that you can blame the union for agreeing to all of this because the NFL union is absolutely spineless. Um, <clears throat> I love foot, like football is my favorite. It's quite obvious football is my favorite sport. It's one of my mo- the most favorite things to do that there is, and it's too much. There's no pleasure in that. It's unsafe. It's garbage football. It's a shameless money grab. And at the end of the season, you have your the best corner in the NFL is out for the year. The best quarterback in the NFL is out for the year. Best defensive player. The best defensive player is out for the year. The The, best safety is out for the year. The most exciting rookie quarterback. The game needs, and I'm a traditionalist in a lot of things in many ways, including football. 
needs to adapt to the fact that players are so big and so strong and so fast that it's it's it needs to adapt to the fact that it's so violent. And if your best players are not playing, if you're having Connor Cook start playoff games against Brock Osweiler, people don't want to watch that. Nope, they definitely don't. I don't. Like if you if, like the you know imagine if Detroit was missing their quarterback on uh, last Sunday when they played the Packers. And it was Brett Hundley versus you know whoever the backup is for Detroit. Please tell me it's still Dan Orlovsky. That's the way games are going to be in December. Let's take a look. Players are dropping like flies. So it's time that the NFL uh, stop taking the short-term money and play the long game. You make more money. There's more profit to be made later by cutting down and be more cognizant on how you schedule Thursday night games. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's all about money. I, I'm totally okay with that. I love money. I'm a capitalist, a free market, as much as you can possibly be. But long term, your league is going to be passed up by the NBA. If they're not careful, it's close. And by the way, Matthew Stafford's backup, Jake Rudock from Michigan. At least he didn't have to travel far, right? From Ann Arbor to Detroit. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I saw a stat today or a, a tweet today about the all injured yeah, team. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Oh my god, that team would beat anyone. I mean, you got the Seahawks are down to their uh, by the end of the game, and this is. We're, we're what, t- uh, nine games into the year? Mm-hmm. They're on their fourth left tackle. Fourth left tackle. They've lost. They're on their third guard. They're on uh, their second right guard. They're on their uh, fourth, third, fourth and fifth defensive end. Third and fourth defensive end. Their third running back. Their second safety. Like. Both. <laughs> it's. None of the presumed starters. There's no pleasure in it. I don't like watching people writhe around on the ground. I see these guys, and they're just getting rolled up on because they got heavy feet because they're tired. They're physically worn out. And when you're tired, you you, you get hurt. When you're not there mentally and physically, you get hurt. I've been saying most of the year that it's been tough for me to watch the NFL just because the quality of play has dipped so much in my opinion. And a lot of it is because of the injuries. A lot of it is because of the officials stopping play so much. A lot of it is because of the all the fucking commercials. Now, I feel like you've got commercial fatigue because I think they've cut down commercials like 25% this year. Have they? Yeah. You just... I don't think I think that that's you haven't been watching games you haven't noticed but you know how they used to go uh, touchdown extra point commercial kickoff commercial no, touchdown yes, yes or if, you know if you have a review on the touchdown touchdown review commercial kickoff commercial and you know, God help us yeah. uh, help us if it's the end of a quarter exactly so the NFL requested that that change and it that doesn't feel like it. it it's very noticeable to me okay. Okay, maybe it's because all the Seahawks games it oh, feels like this year are slogs. Another thing to know is college football plays longer games. It just doesn't feel like it. Because there's more plays in the game. There's less commercials. 
They just play longer games because the clock stops a lot. And they're not having a viewership problem. And also, it's also complete horseshit that the NFL is actually having a ratings problem because you look at the ratings of the game last night compared to whatever the NBA game that was on, it was nine times better rated. So the only time baseball (coughs) has outdrawn the NFL was last week with game six and seven of the World Series. That was the only time baseball has outdrawn the NFL the entire playoff season. There's a lot of narratives going on about the NFL losing its place. And that's a lot of it is just for clicks and it's made up facts and distorted facts. Like uh, kids aren't playing youth football a lot, but they're playing baseball and hockey less uh, baseball and basketball at far less than people entering football because now you can play lacrosse and backgammon and be on like a team because there's more diversity. Anyway, that's a different topic. College basketball. Here we go. Now we're into my cup of tea. So I in football have my favorites when it comes to scheme, uh, college and pro on coordinators and coaches and, and how they run things. So I know you like Tom Izzo, but who is the best schematic coach in college basketball, because I know you don't really watch the NBA, and why? What do they do that's so unique? First of all, I'm going to say that the best schematic coach that I have ever seen is Brad Stevens. Why? What does he do? He just comes up with such creative plays, and usually on sideline, out-of-bounds plays, off of timeouts, that you would think, God, that looks so simple, and yet it always leads to an open shot. A lot of it is screen action away from the ball. That is from youth basketball all the way up to the NBA. And it's like a lot of people, when they watch football, they watch the ball. You watch the line. Yeah. For me... It's, it's kind of the same thing where a lot of people, when they watch basketball, they watch the ball. I watch what's happening away from the ball. If it was that coach for uh, a BC uh, 10, 12 years ago, and he had his guys, his big guys, run it was with cross screen. Jared Dudley. And then yep. he'd have his three, his fours, and his five run cross screens, and they just do crosses, crosses, crosses. And then they pop into the corner and hit a three. Yep. It was Al Skinner. Al Skinner. Was the coach. Yes. And, and, and he is a great, he was a great, he did a great job of getting his guys open shots where they were strong. Yeah. Getting Jared Dudley the ball where he needed to do it. So off ball screens for Brad Stevens. You know who my favorite coach is to watch? And it's a little under the he, – he, he's a great coach. He's taken a team to a national championship game. But he isn't talked about as one of the better coaches in all of college basketball. John Beeline at Michigan. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He yeah. is an absolute offensive wizard. So what does he do? It's the same thing with what he does. It's, it's, all, it's all action away from – you know, another one was Dana Altman. At Oregon. 
what they do is they do so much action away from the ball that it confuses the defense, but it's actually just screens. Like it's a double screen away from the ball to get your shooter coming off a screen. The guy who sets the second screen rolls to the basket. The guy who sets the first screen then pops out by that. By the time the roll is going on, the defender from the first screen is helping and that first screen is wide open in the corner for a three-pointer. So, if I rec- I'm going to beeline at Michigan, a lot of his outball screens are set up perimeter shots. Yes. Stevens, if I remember him from Butler, a lot of it was a, free up guys for layups and big range. A lot of, yes. And a lot of what Brad Stevens did, it, it, it helped that you had really tough guards because he used his little guys to screen yeah. the big guys for the Number other team. Five, like Mack, I think his name was. Shelvin Mack, yeah. yes. Yeah. Shelvin Mack is a perfect example. Uh, Roosevelt Colvin. No. You say Roosevelt Potts, the former running back for the Colts. No, Roosevelt Colvin, that was a defensive line, a defensive <laughs> player for the for the Patriots, right? Roosevelt yeah. Jones. Roosevelt Jones from Butler a few years ago when they made those national championship games. <laughs> That's another one that would screen big guys, and all it takes – for the for them, it, it's going to do one of two things: either they're going to switch because a lot of teams nowadays switch every single screen. So you're gonna you're gonna have then a little guy on a big, or it's the the little guy is, is tough enough for Butler to set those screens, and then the big guy has a little bit of space. That goofy looking guy, Matt Howard from Butler, oh, yeah, how yeah. many Ugly just. Spin. Catch and quick lands did he have, and that was based off of those screens from the guards. So with, so like you said, it's a lot of um, switching the screens. The problem with that is you have mismatches in the NBA where you have more. Uh, you have a, it's basically everybody's a three that plays in the NBA on a good team. The, the, yeah. It's like Milwaukee. You have like you've got a bunch of long guys that can play the. Anywhere from the two to the four, mm-hmm. and then you have maybe one guy who played five, and then you have a couple guys who played point guard. So in the NBA, switching makes more sense because you don't have such a disparity of matchups. In college, where it seems it's such a more controlled, regimented game, it's more traditional. Too. It's more traditional with I'm gonna I got a point guard, and he's my ball handler, and then I got a big guy. Yep. Do they switch screens as much as they do in the NBA? No, absolutely not. So how do you defend all of this off-ball screening if you do not switch? Do you have guys step out? You What you have to do is you have to, you, you have to hedge. So you have to have yeah. the, guy, the defender of the guy who's setting the screen has got to get out there. But then you're susceptible to, to back the back doors. door. You are susceptible to the back door, but that's not what they're looking for at first. And so sometimes you get the 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 because usually it's the big guy who's setting the screen, yeah. right? So you get that big defender to hedge, right? But he has the long enough arms to guard the back door as well. It's got to be very very disciplined, which is why oftentimes he, it, you get good shots. Which is why oftentimes John Beeline gets a lot of the shots he wants is because. Those college kids are not that disciplined. So uh, what you see occasionally, some teams are religious about it. Some teams just use it as a kind of mix-up, is zone. And 
you see it. I mean, Grant, you know, I, I used to watch college basketball all the time. And now I'll, I'll watch a few games in the tournament. And inevitably, you will see a team uh, that does off-ball screens really struggle with zone. Because it doesn't, you're not getting the same kind of stuff. Yep. Because the screens don't, screens don't really work against a zone because you're screening someone, but then you're, you're going into another area where there's a guy who's guarding the zone anyways. So how does Brad Stevens beat the zone? Well, Brad Stevens really doesn't have to worry about the zone. I know he doesn't have to worry about the zone. How does John Beeline beat it? How does John Beeline beat the zone? Because it seems like he's got a roster full of guys every year that want to shoot over the top of the zone. Quick swings. Quick. You, right. What what you need to do is you need to swing the ball quick. You need to get the defense out of position. You got to find the open spots. And for the love of God, if there's open space, you have got to cut into it. Okay. A lot of defenses, and this is why John Beeline and actually Michigan and Virginia play each other a lot. And Virginia is so disciplined defensively that they usually give Michigan fits. Michigan thrives on teams that get out of position. And with college players, that happens a lot. You've got to find the open spaces in the zone. And there there are always open spaces in a zone. The way you do that is by penetrating and getting two guys to commit to you. And then you swing it around quick. And then you have the offside guard or the offside post just take a couple steps in and there's space there for a jumper. The hard part of that is... Teams that play zone recruit long, long guys. You look at those great Syracuse, Syracuse. teams, like uh, the team that won the title. It was twelve Hakeem Works, yep, and then Carmelo Anthony. Did you just you know? And I think they had a white point guard. Well, McNamara, who was there for thirty-five years, yep. <laughs> um, and so you don't see the windows as well, especially if you have a smaller team. Yep, and then teams, you know, I can't. I, I don't have that opening. I'm going to kick it out. Then the clock's running down. I'm going to shoot a three. And that's why you see a lot of teams shoot threes against pack line defenses like Virginia and against really long two, three zones. Okay, like Syracuse. Oh, so I wanted to ask you something. I hear that all the time. Uh, Thibodeau, uh, the former Bulls coach, I even, I'm sure he's a head coach somewhere. He's a head coach in Minnesota. Okay. Uh, he runs a pack line defense. A little bit I tougher. Have no idea. What the hell the pack line defense is. I know it when I see it, but I don't know what it actually means. Basically what the pack line defense is, you're trapping in the short corner. You are basically have all five guys in the paint. So for non-basketball people, what is a short corner? The short corner is about four feet away from the block. You're you're about eight to ten feet away from the hoop on the baseline. So... When a two yeah, when, you're, okay. when you're playing when you're playing a two three zone, the open spots usually in a two three zone are between the two guards, the two guys on the high the high scene, which is the free throw line, and between uh, two guys that are down low, and usually that is the short corner. So that's where you want to get the ball in against the zone. Is you want to get the ball to the high post, which is usually at the free throw line. Or you want to get the ball at the short corner, which is usually about three, four feet outside mm-hmm. the block. The pack line defense does not allow any interior passes. They, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. They pack everything in. They dare you to shoot over the top. If you look at Virginia, Virginia is the 
best example of a pack line defense. Did Tony Bennett run the pack line when he was at Washington? He didn't have the athletes. Because in Virginia? Yes. Because what you have to do, the pack line defense, it is so important that you're disciplined in your closeouts. Because you are allowing... We could spend a whole podcast on closeouts. So yes. Maybe we will because it's so bad in college. Yes. Yeah. But you watch Virginia close out and it is always a thing of beauty. You have to have – and you have to have length with that too because you're basically allowing uh, these guys to get the ball about 18 feet from the basket on the, on the baselines because you're so tight, right? And then you're not allowing anything in the interior. You are just – the ball's swinging all around, right? It's swinging from side to side, but it's staying on the perimeter. That's what the pack line defense is supposed to do. It is supposed to basically only allow three-point shots, nothing at the rim. And another good thing about the pack line defense is you have all five guys so tight that it's really hard to get an offensive rebound against that. Yeah, because all five guys are so close, and then if there's anyone close, they always find a body to box out. That's another thing about Virginia and about WSU when Tony Bennett was there; they were great at boxing out. That's true. And they had six foot eleven, hundred and forty five pound Robbie Calgill boxing out, but he was doing a damn good job. And that's another thing: is you have to have guards that can box out. It comes back to you have to have physical guards that can set screens that can box out, that don't mind doing the dirty work and getting getting down there. And that's why Duke is not going to win it this year. They don't have the guards that can that like to do the dirty work. Grayson Allen does not like to do the dirty work. He likes to he likes to be dirty, but he doesn't like to do the well, dirty work. Well they haven't work. had they haven't had dirty work people in since, quite some time. Since Greg Paulus, since two thousand ten, when they won the national championship. Yeah. Although I guess they won the national championship in two thousand thirteen. But that was that was a different. Who team. remembers that? I mean, I don't even remember. They beat Wisconsin in the title game that year. That was just garbage. So yes, that Pac-12 refs are out tonight. By the way. Oh yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't looked. But to answer your question, I love watching Michigan play. Yeah, uh, they're a team I enjoy. I've always had a soft spot for them because of Fab Five. Uh, all right, John Beeline at uh, West Virginia with Kevin Pitsnoggle. Kevin Pitsnoggle, yes. Yep. I mean, that's a he's on the all-time name team right there. Yep. Um, <laughs> he was just this pudgy, like six-eight guy. Thank God he could just shoot. make it rain from the corner. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that's uh that's going to be our podcast for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Go Cougs tomorrow. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys their weekend. Thanks, everyone.